Allow me to introduce Beverly Hallberg. Beverly is the founder and president of District Media Group, a company that helps clients develop their communication skills and confidence to effectively deliver their message. Hallberg started District Media Group to help individuals present their best self for media interviews and public speaking engagements. District Media Group is now an internationally recognized communications consulting and media training group. Hallberg is a media expert, lecturer, and public speaker with over 20 years of experience. She's conducted media trainings for members of Congress, CEOs, journalists, policy analysts, and entrepreneurs. Hallberg specializes in message development, message creation, and talking point construction. Prior to founding District Media Group, Hallberg served as the Director of Operations at the Leadership Institute Studios. Here, Hallberg edited, produced, and directed several TV and radio shows and anchored a weekend sports program. She instructed media trainings for on-camera communication and presentation skills. Hallberg, has written in, Hallberg was a visiting communications fellow for the Heritage Foundation. She wrote a column called Coffee Talk, which broke down complex policy to help the average person talk to others about conservative issues. Hallberg is a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, where she hosts a podcast titled She Thinks. On this podcast, Hallberg invites guests to discuss the facts of current events, allowing listeners to come to their own conclusions. Hallberg is a guest columnist for the Washington Examiner, The Hill, The Daily Signal, and frequently contributes to The Federalist and Fox News. With her expertise in both communication and media, Hallberg is just the person for aspiring female leaders in the conservative movement to learn from. Hallberg lives in South Carolina with her husband and English Bulldog. She's an avid Golden State Warriors fan. Ladies, please join me in welcoming Beverly Hallberg. And it just happens to be the NBA Finals tonight, so I'm very excited. My team is in it. But it is a pleasure to be with you all today. I wanted to share a little bit about my experience when I was exactly in your shoes. And when I first came to D.C., it was in 2000. I was 20 years old when I started here. Well, actually, I should say 1999 because I interned in 99 before I then started my full-time job. So I thought it would be fun for us to just talk about some of the challenges I face that I think you are going to face. How do you navigate D.C. and things like working with your bosses and networking and communication? And then how does one think about a work-life balance? What does that look like? I'm going to ask you guys a personal question to start out. Who in here would like to get married someday? Maybe some, some of you are. Most people like to get married someday. Great. And sometimes it's, try, it's hard to figure out how does that look when you're working on a career? What is the dating scene like in D.C.? It's not great. I'm going to be honest about that. <laughs> it took me moving to South Carolina to find my now husband. I was 41 when I finally uh, met him. We got married last September, which has been wonderful. But just thinking through how one really navigates this time while in Washington, D.C. And so I know many of you are interning, some may be actually starting your professional career. And so a few tips to go through and to think about this is that the, one of the benefits of doing all this is that you're surrounded by a lot of driven people. And I'm really glad that we're all back in person now. I think it must have been really hard for those starting their professional careers to have to do it virtually. Was that a real challenge for everybody, I'm assuming? There, there's some nice aspects to it, but so much about you building your career is about networking and working with other people and learning from them. So I think it's great that we're all together again. My tip for you would to be, be driven, but don't be jealous. 
be driven, but don't be jealous. And I want to break that down just a little bit. You are going to find that in your time with your internship, and if you happen to stay here and work, out of curiosity, who in here wants to stay in D.C.? Hoping maybe you have to finish your, your schooling. You want to come back. A lot of people want to stay in D.C. Um, you're going to be surrounded by a lot of people doing amazing things. And there are going to be a lot of temptations that come with that. Some of the temptations are going to be looking at that com comparison and feeling like you're not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I have to do everything and work myself into a frenzy to be able to get to where I want to go. It's not necessarily true. Now, you should work hard. You wouldn't be here if you weren't hard workers and already driven. But one of the ways I see this manifest itself is that there's a lot of job hopping where you stay at one place for six months and then another opportunity comes up and then you move to that job and then you keep moving to that job and that job. It won't eventually look good on your resume if you change jobs too quickly. So I'll just throw that out there just as, as a little tip. Be, be cautious about how often you change jobs, but I'm not saying you never should. When thinking about whether or not you should stay where you are, you should first of all ask yourself, are you still learning? Is this a place where I'm still learning certain skill sets or am I in a job, am I in a position where they're not allowing me to learn and grow? So I think that's a, a good part. I was very, I'm very odd in that my first job out of college, which was at the Leadership Institute, if you all are familiar with them, we probably attend, attend different sessions this summer at the Leadership Institute. It's, it's, it's a great training organization. I stayed there for seven years, and that's unheard of for most people when they start their, their when they start in their careers. Yet now I own a business and we're doing great. It didn't damage my career in order to stay there for seven years. And I had to continually ask myself this question, am I able to learn and grow here? I kept, there was a ladder I could keep moving up and I had this really beneficial thing happen to me which was I had a boss who thought freelance work was very important. So I had a full-time job, but was able to freelance and do other work on weekends and the evenings, and that proved to be really beneficial. So if you even think to yourself, I want to be a writer someday, I want to maybe own my own business, see if you're at a job that will let you write outside of it. I even have Evie Solheim who works with me. She's in here. Yep, there's Evie. She's great. Um, Evie has a column that she writes on her own outside of work and it's doing great. The name of it again, give us some details. We'll give you some promotion. I kept it very straightforward, The Girl's Guide to DC. The Girl's Guide to DC. Check it out. Helpful tips on um, even where to find cheap clothes, consignment shopping, thrift shopping, um, dating advice, all those types of things. So check her out. But I find it beneficial to have somebody working with me who has other interests and does those types of things. But she, I think, I, you could ask her at dinner tonight. She will be there. She was looking for a job that let her pursue other interests as well. As long as it doesn't compete with what you're doing full time, that's fine. I even have some people ask me um, on occasion, because I started my own business, they'll say, well, I want to be a writer someday. What do you recommend? And I say, well, do you write? They're like, well, not yet. Well, if you want to be a writer, you need to write. <laughs> uh, whatever it is that you want to do, dabble in it. We all have opportunities to do that. So do think outside of the box. Ask yourself if you're in a job that's allowing you to learn. Um, and within the job that you have, there is my next tip on this. Be somebody who comes to the table with solutions. Be somebody who comes to the table with solutions. I can say as somebody who is a boss, it is really helpful when I have an employee come to me and doesn't just present a problem, but provide some solutions on how we can move forward. 
say, I've been thinking about this, one solution or one thought I had is to do this, another one is this. Please do not come to your boss just with problems, come with solutions. Your boss will be very thankful for that. Another thing to think about in helping out your relationship with your boss and how that goes is do not complain about the work they give you, especially if they do it on their own. So if you say, well, I'm only making copies, well, I bet your boss on occasion makes copies as well. Um, realize that they're in a very hard position, and if you can make their job more helpful, you can be of help to them, respond to them well, you are going to be thought of as somebody who they potentially may even want to hire after the internship. What bosses are looking for is somebody to make their job easier, not harder. Because there is an investment in mentoring interns. There is time devoted to that. That's fine. A lot of us find value in doing that. But there should be something in return for it. So ask yourself, how can I help my boss not just create more work as they're mentoring me? So that's another tip that I would give. I want to talk about dressing for success, a little tip on dressing for success. Somebody who I think you can look to who I think always just looks amazing, I'm sure all of you agree, is Dana Perino. Everybody loves Dana Perino. She's beautiful, classy, intelligent, all those wonderful things. Does she ever dress in a sexual way? Is she always fashionable and trendy? Always. You can still be thought of as extremely beautiful without having to show too much. And my recommendation is don't show too much. So hopefully that's pretty self-explanatory, but there is kind of a joke that people who live in DC have, as we can always tell when the interns are in, because the dresses get shorter, the shirts get lower, and the heels get taller. <laughs> um, so obviously be fashionable. I remember when I first came to DC, women only wore suits in order to be taken seriously. I'm very glad we don't wear just suits these days. We can wear uh, a jumpsuit. I saw somebody in a jumpsuit today. It was beautiful, a red jumpsuit. Who is that? She's still in here. I saw her coming in and out. Somebody's wearing a jumpsuit today. Is it you? you have a, no, you don't have a jumpsuit on. Anyway, it's beautiful. You can still embrace fashion. Think about, think about something that still adheres to the style you like. All of that is great, but just remember it's, you want to make sure you can sit in something very easily. You want to make sure that when people see you, they think of somebody for their brain and not just for what they're wearing. So I realize I sound like a mom right now, but it may be the difference of whether or not a boss wants to hire you based on how you dress. Another tip, I'm sure you've learned this, especially if you all ride the Metro, carry a different pair of shoes or wear a different pair of shoes and carry your heels with you. Always do that. And I recommend changing into the heels before you walk into the business, changing them around the block, slip them on so you can walk in with your heels on. <laughs> but carry, carry those other shoes with you. It makes a huge difference. And this is just a side note. I'm a huge fan of heels with ankle straps. I have ankle straps on now because you don't trip in your heels nearly as much if you have ankle straps. So you will find, I'm sure many of you have seen this, your heels get stuck in the bricks and the sidewalks. So also thicker heels, more of the, the block heel, is also really helpful in DC because there are so many brick sidewalks. If you're here long enough, you will find that you will tear up the sides of your heels by getting stuck in, in between two bricks. So it's just a side note on, on how to dress for success. I wanna talk about how to communicate, moving to how you communicate. I am a firm believer in the better you are as a communicator, both in spoken and written form, the better job title you will have and the more money you will make in your career. 
whatever area it happens to be. If you're an effective communicator, your boss will have a lot more trust in you. This is working with donors, working with clients, working or explaining what you're working on in staff meetings, speaking on panels, whatever it happens to be. If you are a good communicator, you will rise higher, go quicker in your career by doing that. So how does one approach that? How does one think about that? Well, one thing to be aware of is that filler words will not help you sound credible. Filler words and phrases that are used far too commonly, uh, um, you know, I mean, like, saying like when it's not where it's needed in the grammatical proper form. Anything along those lines, try to work it out of your conversation. So how does one do that? First of all, try to catch yourself, and I get into bad habits, by the way, too. So there's an element where I still struggle with this. We're used to hearing filler words, but I would enlist in the help of someone else. So for your summer, is everybody here for the summer then, starting the summer internship? Somebody you live with or work with or both, tag team with someone where at least one meal a week you are calling each other out for filler words and phrases. It could be during a meal, you hit the table every time you hear a uh, or like, or you know, it's super annoying and therefore super effective. I even tell the scholars I work with, the members of Congress, this is the, usually the only way to rid yourself of it because you won't realize how often you do it. Eliminate filler words. Does anybody want to admit that you struggle with filler words? There's a few. Most of us do. It is a common thing, not something to be embarrassed of, but something to work through. So really work through that. I also want to talk about something that women struggle with more than men, and it's what I refer to as upspeak. Where you end a sentence like this, but it's not a question, and we talk like this. I'm originally from California, so I call it the valley girl, the valley girl talk that can come out. Your inflection should go up if it's a question. But if it is not a question, your inflection at the end of the sentence should go down, should go down. You will sound more confident and you will sound more credible if you do not have the upspeak continuously throughout your speech. If you are not sure where you fall on this, we all have recording devices in the palm of our hands. You can do an audio recording of yourself, listen to it back, ask somebody who knows you well, and see whether or not this is an issue for you and work on it. And also present something else that I think is the quickest way to deal with any type of vocal issue you may be wanting to work on, project your voice. Project your voice. Think about it, when you're nervous, what do you tend to do with your voice? It gets quieter. When we feel uncomfortable, and for most of us, any type of public speaking experience, it's a little bit nerve wracking. And then if you add a camera to it or anything like that, it can be more nerve wracking. One of the quick ways to just appear confident is to start by speaking loudly. So think about if there were 10 to 15 of you in this room and I had no microphone, the volume that I would use. So the volume I give in presenting doesn't change if I have a microphone or not. I speak about the same volume whether I'm on TV or speaking in front of an audience because I know that when I speak with this volume, I have a lot more energy in my voice. My, the variety of my pacing changes. I'll find places where I speed up a little bit and then slow down for emphasis. Variety and pacing is interesting to listen to. I find that I use inflection in much more effective ways where there are words I hit on more than others. And so volume will help you get there. And this is uh, something I just learned after coaching people for years. Whatever you do vocally, your visuals will follow.
So if your voice is quiet, your body language gets quiet. Your facial expressions get quiet. So if I'm working with a client who has really boring facial expressions, the first thing I usually have that person do is speak louder. And when they speak louder, all of a sudden their face brightens up. So volume is just a very quick way to deal with confidence, help with confidence, and to make yourself appear very credible. And last thing I want to say on the communication part before we go to the personal life and just a few things to consider there is that you need to practice. Think of how much you have time, how much time you have spent studying whatever subject you are studying. A lot of hours, going to classes, writing papers, studying in general. Other than maybe the intro to public speaking course you took in college, how much time do you spend practicing communication? For most people, zero. Other than just what we do day to day in our normal conversation. Again, we all have cameras in the palm of our hands. You should record yourself, listen and watch it, play it back. If something, so many of you may be introducing speakers over the summer, having to speak in staff meetings. It is not silly, it's actually wise to record what you plan to say in a staff meeting prior and listen to it back. You're able to correct some things that may look awkward visually, but another thing happens as well, which is when you practice audibly, you internalize it much better. So I always find it interesting when I work with people who are writers more than they're speakers, but they have to do TV. They've only practiced talking points on paper. They've written it down and they think, well, I know my content, I'm gonna go on camera and speak about it. But they stumble a lot, they edit themselves as they speak, it's not even really written for the ear, it's written more for the eye. Um, print wording is different than spoken wording. You wouldn't put somebody's op-ed into a teleprompter and have them read it. It's, it's a different way of communicating. So when you can speak it out loud, you form your phrases much better, usually shorter sentences, but just by speaking it, you're able to not have to read notes that whole time because you will internalize that much better. So. All my clients, even myself, I practice my answers out loud before I do TV. Just because it helps me not stumble when I do it live. So practice, record yourself, and I recommend, especially this summer, if there are going to be communication scenarios that you, you are in, have somebody else take a look at the clip or to watch you live and see if you can get feedback. So I still watch every media interview that I do, and I still have my father critique me. He's an honest critic. He can be harsh, honest but harsh, and having somebody else just constantly watching and helping you in the, really the mode you wanna be in, which is really getting to the place where you view communication as a skill set and something that you have to continue to hone and practice. Think about it like playing a musical instrument. Think about it like playing a sport. It's something that over time you get better at. And your confidence will build the more often you practice. Because I often get this question, which is, how do you deal with nerves? What do I do about nerves? I'd be a very wealthy person if, if I had a magic pill where you could take that, and all of a sudden your nerves went away. Obviously, there isn't a pill to do that. The only way you work through nerves is actually by doing it. You have to practice and put yourself in situations that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but continue to put yourselves in those situations. And last tip on the, the visual side, please make eye contact with people. Looking at people when you speak with them is a really important thing. Even as you're gathering your thoughts, you don't want to look up and look to the side. You want to make eye contact with people.
So let's move to the personal life. Personal life. Can you have it all? Can you have family? Can you have work? You can, but usually not all at the same time. Or you may need to alter how much time you spend on work versus personal life. So one of the things that's really beneficial, it's been beneficial through COVID, but it also has been really beneficial just as technology has improved, is a lot of women work, women work from home. So they can take more of a part-time role while raising kids. There is that opportunity. But a lot of the women you may even look to who have successful careers, a lot of the times they're mothers. So who in here follows um, Molly Hemingway? Who in here likes Molly Hemingway? So I knew her, we both worked together years ago, 20 years ago, and she was in a different role, but she took some time to get married, to have kids, and where she's really had her star rise has been in her 40s, her 40s. That's when she really starting the Federalist and doing all the Fox that she did. And so it doesn't mean if you don't do it all by 25 that you're never gonna have the opportunity to. So what I wouldn't want you to do is if you have the opportunity to start a family, I would just offer that it doesn't mean your career is over if you do start a family. So do try to meet people that you can date if you have a desire for marriage. If you have family members who are telling you that you were too young, I know plenty of people who got married in their early 20s and find it a really beneficial thing. Um, it's harder to get married the older you get. I will just throw that out there to you. Like I said, it was very hard for me to find somebody I was older. Um, and from a faith perspective, God is sovereign and God knows. But just be open to that. Be open to, to dating, to family, because I, I think feminism that's gone wrong has taught us that we can't be mothers, we can't want to be mothers and have families and also have a career. You can have it all, just not all at the same time. So sometimes people start their careers younger and then have families later. Sometimes that's reversed. Just know that your path could be different than somebody else's. Your path could be different. Final things before we go to questions that I want to say, um, DC is a very small town. Don't make enemies. Even if you have an issue with somebody, try to resolve it in a very uh, positive way, as positive as you can, because it is a very small city. The, the problem you may have with somebody today will likely be there 10 years from now if you're still here, if you run into them. So don't make enemies. Um, do you realize that networking is really important? So where my, my company, District Media Group, we've never marketed. It's always been word of mouth. And so since DC is a small town, what has been so helpful through all of this is that because I went to events, went to events after work, uh, I would come to even events that this organization put on, their luncheons at Heritage. I went there when I was an intern and, and young and is starting my young professional career, meet people. They're the people who will call you later on to offer you a job, to want to hire your business if you're offering services to individuals, network as much as you can. The fact that you are all here is proof that you want to do that. Get to know each other. And I would recommend if you end up staying in DC, find interests that are outside of politics. It's a really fun city. I mean, it's a little changed during COVID. Um, but my friends that I'm closest with in DC are usually those that I don't talk politics with all the time. There are other interests that we have. So do try to be that well-rounded person. Think of other things so that politics isn't the only thing in your life. Have other interests. I think it's just really valuable. So I'm going to turn it over for questions. I realize that was a hodgepodge of a lot of information. But as I was thinking about it, 
these would just be that these are the tips I give people when I talk to somebody who's young and thinking through your career so I hope they're helpful yes so we have a question right here Oh. No, right here. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, I don't have a question. Okay, so uh, thank you so much for being here. Sure. Quick question for you. So when we're talking about um, inflection and how, fill over, when we're talking about inflection and how you're presenting yourself, uh, there's this theory that if you deepen your voice that it, uh, that people will take you a little bit more seriously. Is this true? And if so, how do you do it? Good question. It is true. It is. So, it, well, first of all, it depends on the voice. We, every person, whether you're male or female, has a different tone to your voice. But all of us, whatever our tone is, has a register, meaning you have a lower register to a higher register. So I've had to work really hard over the years on keeping in the lower register of my voice versus going high. And we're going to talk like this. And it's more of a lazy speak, easier to go high. So what you want to think about is, where is the basement? But it doesn't sound like I'm way down here. What still sounds natural and normal? And when you have inflection on certain words, you don't inflect you inflect. It is still keeping within that lower tone, so that will help you. Now, part of that is just getting used to it. Volume will help as well, because it keeps you in that lower register, and record yourself and listen back to it, because it should still sound natural. Again, you don't want it to sound like you're coming in with a very deep voice, but you will find most, most of the women who have effective TV careers usually have a lower tone to their voice. And women get this unfair categorization about we sound shrill, a lot of it is because just the way we inflect and going into the higher register of our, of our, our voice. It's a really good question. Other questions? Um, so I'm in a lot of male-dominated fields. I'm an Army cadet and Army commuter. And we get a lot of criticism, especially in the Army, for presenting femininely. Yeah, I I think it's especially hard in the military because there is just the uniform look that they want and so showing femininity that they want they want you to be thought of as a team and not as individuals. So it's a little bit trickier when you're thinking about it in those terms. So I don't think I can speak specifically to what the military would allow versus won't allow because it is about not individuality but people being as a unit. So there is that. As far as just in, if you are in a male dominated field, which uh, media has a lot of women in it, so I've worked with a lot of women, but I used to work on the video production side where we were in control rooms and that was mostly male dominated. It is fine to be female and to embrace it. I think a lot of it came down to how I presented myself in clothing, to be honest. Your clothing, the way, the way you dress, does say a lot about you. Um, and so again, not, you can lead with fashion, you can lead with uh, beauty, I think that's fine. You just don't want to lead with sexuality. So the women who have long, longevity, so even think of somebody else who you probably all follow, Katie Pavlich. She doesn't lead with sexuality, her, her clothing is never low cut, but a lot of people think she's beautiful and really respect her. So it's figuring out that balance in clothing. Um, so I, I am for embracing femininity, it's just not being forward with sexuality. Yeah, thank you for the question. Question right here. 
Um, um, so I'm an intern on Capitol Hill for a congressman, and I'm kind of interested in going the communications route. And I know you said that you had previously worked with members of Congress. I was wondering if you ever had any experience working with like their staff, like their communications directors, their press secretaries, and what advice did you give them or what exercises did you work with them on? Yes. Are you currently working, interning for the comms department or is kind of general with the team? Um, kind of general, but I have like, um, I am going to be starting writing an op-ed Great. Um, related to gun regulation. I'm going to pitch that to our comms director. Great. So my biggest tip on how you can set yourself apart as an intern in your office is be a news junkie first and foremost. So a lot of people, especially young people, don't like to watch the news. You're, you watch you know, TikTok or Instagram or whatever, but get cable because members of Congress live and die by the cable networks. And, and also local stations. So I know even when District Media Group, when we hire people, we have had to put on any type of job application, you must be a news junkie, and I ask them what shows they watch. Because people say they like the news and they want to work in media, but they don't actually watch it. <laughs> now, there are a lot of online programs too. Of course, you have the Daily Wire with their programs, you have podcasts that have the video component, all those things, but be an avid news consumer. So that would be one tip right away. Uh, because especially as you're writing op-eds, you have to be very quick on the news story itself. And so one of the ways you can prepare for that is if there are certain research areas that you are expected to write on, or let's say your boss, these are his or her issues, already have the bulk of the op-ed ready to go. All you need to change when news breaks is the opening couple paragraphs. <laughs> um, there's another shooting. Here is our perspective on on gun control or gun reform or why we don't need any of it, whatever happens to be, you can have the bulk of it written and that way you can turn it around really quickly. That'd be one tip. But as far as what tips I give to offices, one of the mistakes I see in congressional offices is that the press secretary, comms director, they will give their boss five pages of notes before a media interview. It's too much, too much. Now I know why they do that. They're afraid if their boss gets a question that's not on that paper, they're going to be blamed if he or she didn't respond to it well. I think it's good. You can have background. Here is the information. But they should only have two or three things they plan to say in a media interview. So part of the job of the press secretary is to think through what are the two or three things we need to say and you need to control the interview, that their boss needs to control the interview. So it's helping your boss sift through all the news, all the information, all the different topics he or she may talk on, and help isolate those talking points that really stand out. Good question, and good luck. Thank you. Yeah, back here. And uh, how much time do we have as well? It's like five minutes, five more minutes? Okay, great. Hi. Hi, my name is Halima. I go to ORU and I am an intern for FreedomWorks. Great. And I know that you have a lot of um, We love FreedomWorks at DMG. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a lot of ex experience in Washington and so yeah. I just had a work question. Sure. Um, so how would you suggest that we would be very helpful to our bosses without overbearing, like constantly nagging them? Yeah. We do have something for me to do. How can we be proactive and kind of interpret their needs before they're even asked? Yeah, that's a good question. And sometimes it's hard because they're not in the office very much. <laughs> so it's trying to determine that. Pay attention to what they do ask you to do and make sure it's timely. 
get back to them ahead of time and always say, what else can I do to help you? So part of it is completing the tasks they've given and seeing if they have anything else for you. Sometimes it's also just seeing is there, can you be a helping hand to other people in the office? Other things that need to be done, always being willing. Um, maybe there is a chief of staff or office manager, you're willing to help out whenever you can. Maybe it's not really your role, but so for example, FreedomWorks has different people fly in for their different events. Maybe that's not technically part of your internship responsibilities, but you stay and you help out. So there's just that being there. Being there, but of course you don't want to be creepy and like trying to figure everything out about your boss and your boss feels a little bit awkward. But it's part of it is just being observant and listening to them. Don't bother them if it's clear they're busy. That'd be another thing. So keep yourself busy if you can tell they're in the middle of something, but just be, be observant. Yeah, good question. Other questions right up here? Hi. Yes, thank you for um, talking to us about all of these tips today. Um, for me, something that I've realized that I and like my coworkers have been working on is smiling. Yeah. Um, when like interacting with each other and with um like upper uh, management. Yes. So like to an extent, that I'm almost overconscious of it. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have? Yeah, that's a good question. So what do we do with smiling? So there will be some, so I'm a media trainer, there will be some media trainers who will tell their clients that they just need to smile all the time to be likable. I completely disagree with that advice. Because, first of all, for many of us, it's hard to just hold this and it feels, have you felt awkward with the smiling? Yes, yes, you felt, that's normal, that's okay. It just feels a little bit awkward to smile. I know what people are trying to achieve and that's a warmth and a likability. But how one actually should think about it is how do I engage? You really are searching for engagement versus likability. A likability should come with engagement. Or another way to say it, you should look for engagement and engaging quality, not a happy quality. Because if you always practice with a smile, what do you do if you have to talk about the shooting in Texas? All of a sudden, you have to put on different facial expressions that don't feel natural because you've memorized the feel of looking happy. So then what do we do? Of course, what do we do at that point in time? If you project your voice like I talked about, usually it solves the problem. When one projects their voice, again, not only does their voice sound more present and engaging, your visuals will be more present and engaging because whatever the voice does, the visuals will follow. Make eye contact. And as you're speaking, the other thing to consider is your brow, your eyes and your brow. So if you're making eye contact like I am with you, like if you were my boss and I was talking to you like this and looking down, you wouldn't have confidence in me. It's making that eye contact. Don't want to furrow. Men do the furrowing more than women. The natural brow, and if you want to add emphasis, you can list, lift eyebrows for emphasis. And your head can have movement, so you don't feel like you need to be in a straight jacket. So just think about if my voice is engaging, if my eye contact is where it needs to be, you don't even have to worry about what your mouth is doing. So does that give you some comfort that you don't have to? Yes, it yes. does. <laughs> and also with the fact is I have like quite a quieter voice. Yeah. So um, I do worry more about my gestures and my mouth right. cues. Have you ever tried to push the volume? I, I'm almost scared that I'll be shouting at the other person 
Right. Can we try a practice right now, real quick? I want, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to speak loudly, even if you think it's going to sound like yelling. Okay? So everybody knows you're trying it, so if you do yell, you're not going to be the word person. Okay. So really try to push the volume in your voice. So where are you interning? I am interning at the, I'm interning at the um, Museum of Air and Space. Great. I'm going to have you speak even louder when you say it. Was, was she yelling? No. Not at all. So you're going to push the volume even again. So tell me where, where you're working. I'm working at the Smithsonian at the Air and Space Museum. Already better. So what, what was really helpful is you said, I'm afraid it's going to sound like I'm yelling. So sometimes what people do is they overcorrect for fear of how they sound or how they appear. You will not run the risk of sounding like you're yelling. You're going to have to tell yourself, I have to yell at people in order to sound credible. You're just going to have to get used to it. And that's where the recording comes in handy, because you have to listen to it back and realize it doesn't sound like yelling. Because right now, you're, there's a fear of that. And that's why all of us have to work on those different areas. So thank you so much for your question. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Are we still okay on time? One more? One more. One more. If we have one more. Yes. Ah, oh, Morgan. Hello. Hi. It's too loud. <laughs> How would you recommend that young women in DC be bold and gregarious and put themselves out there but not be inappropriately brazen? I mean, part of it is just being true to yourself. Be who you are. Don't put on something else. But it would be similar to the question I got from the, the lady working at FreedomWorks, which is, how do I help my boss? How do I get out there? Be eager. Be willing. Be helpful. Don't create more work for your boss because you're always asking them what you can do. So there is that balance of you don't want your boss thinking, I always have to keep this intern busy and I don't have enough stuff for them to do. So try to read that well. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's also a balance of being respectful, but just being helpful. So think about when you're really helpful to somebody in your family or when you've been helpful in a job, what does that look like? Overbearing to me or brazen is when it demands its own way. So as long as you're deferential, it shouldn't be a problem. A really good question. Well, thank you all. I will also be at the dinner. Evie will be there as well if you want to talk to her about her, her little blog, which is awesome. Um, but it's been a pleasure working with you. I really hope you have a wonderful summer. By the way, DC gets really hot and humid, just so you know. But you can make it. It's OK. When you wear the sleeveless in the summer, take a sweater with you because all the buildings are freezing, which you have probably already realized. But that's a tip as well. Thank you so much.